This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. This is Robert Picardo, the emergency medical hologram from Star Trek Voyager, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, listeners, to another cup of Earl Grey. I'm your host, Amy Nelson, and joined with me is the triumphant Joe Keegan. Yes! I'm back. Not a trivia episode this time, so I don't get to vanquish Amy. Well, I think we really should have ended it at the original ending, because then I would have won. True. But remember, you did get like five points when you only got three of the questions <laughs> that right. That is so, not true. Some of them were only even half. Like, what was the answer? David someday? And you just said David and Jim gave it to you. It's yeah, ridiculous. That was pretty good. He, he was... Favoritism. We need to have him back because he was very generous with the points. And he was like, well, you each were one year away, so we'll give you both the points <laughs> for Picard's graduating. <laughs> easy, easy. Yeah. I wanted to ask you a question, Amy. Yes. Could you describe your perfect date? My perfect date, I believe, isn't that April 25th? Why? Well, because the weather isn't too cold and it's not too hot. And all you need is a light jacket. <laughs> yes, that's it. Yes. Nice. I love it. Were we watching Sandra Bullock this weekend? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, no, it popped up on Facebook, yeah. so I had to steal it. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, thankfully I saw uh, that too. <laughs> then I had to check the date that check it was April twenty fifth. Yes, and it was. And I thought I can use that today. Yes, we so, are recording on April twenty fifth. Perfect, perfect timing. Yeah. Well, Joe, we cool. got an email, and so I wanted mm-hmm. to share it with you. It's from Joni Baker in Michigan. Hi, Joni. And uh, writes, loved the trivia show. Congratulations to Joe for his great STNG trivia. So a congratulations to you, Joe. Joni sounds like a wise listener. Thank you yeah, for that. Yeah, nothing about how well I did. That's okay, Joni. Just praises for Joe. That's all right. And she lives in one of the best states as well, Michigan. <laughs> Michigan. Okay. One, of my, one of my favorite states. <laughs> Definitely the top five states. Oh, for okay. Me, I think. Never been there, but it sounds cool. Yeah, about to say it's your favorite, but you've never been there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is true. Well, we have some other uh, Babel Conference feedback for our wonderful trivia with guest Jim McMahon. That was Earl Grey episode three twenty one. So, Joe, why don't you read that? So, Ellen Froelich Manning apologized. Apologies if I've mispronounced your name there, Ellen. 
You say best part of the game, Amy. Wow, I matched Joe and got five for five. That was amazing. Joe, yeah, that's amazing. Only three of them were right. I'm dying. I'm easily humoured. I enjoyed the game. More please. That's not easy humour though, Ellen. That's me being like, that's powerfully humorous. Yes, that was a lot of brain concentration. You know, we had to Mm -hmm. think on some of those. Oh, they, we did, yeah. yeah. It's kind of tough. <laughs> I think some of the questions were quite easy, but in the, the heat of the moment, oh, yeah. your brain just goes to mush. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we have Justin Ozer. Hi, Justin. Says Who's that again? I recognize that I name. I know that name. He's our associate producer. Uh, Justin says, excellent trivia questions, Jim. It was a great mix of easy, medium, and hard questions. I was able to answer a lot of them, but definitely had trouble with planet names and some of the actor names. I think Amy needs the opportunity for a rematch. Mm Yes. I agree. Yeah, it was a really nice mix of good questions. Jim, you were fabulous. We are so glad to have you on. See, when Justin says I was able to answer a lot of them, is that him kind of implying that he would have won if he was still on? I'm thinking so. This is Mm, his sly uh, way of saying, you guys are lucky I'm no longer hosting because I would have killed, roasted you both. Justin, I would have trounced you and Amy at the same time. Just saying. But thanks for your comment. Well, Joe, we aren't the only ones here. There's a couple of lurkers. We've been watched. This is this is a bit creepy. So we listeners have an amazing crossover with to the journey, and we are going to welcome Liam and Zach to Earl Grey. Liam, how are you? Hey guys, I'm very good. I'm a little bit hungover. Sorry, this morning. So. It's very good to be here. I just want to point out with um, your Earl Grey trivia episode, though, mm-hmm. you're not reading out a comment that Joe's put on there as a follow-up from Ellen Manning. We didn't. Uh, he said that, no, he said that if there were a Voyager one, you'd be useless, but you'd still win. So you're trying to say that Zach and I wouldn't have oh. a clue on Voyager and you'd still win? No, um, no. if Earl Grey did a Voyager trivia episode, we'd be useless because we don't know voyager as well as we know the next generation however i would still be amy oh you'd still yes. be amy oh, yes. okay all right i was gonna say because oh if you're saying you're beating me boy we're, we're, we're gonna go <laughs> I, 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 I don't know that i can't remember all those voyager details <laughs> i'm terrible at details i'd be terrible at that oh it'd be very exciting mm, you should do it so zach welcome to earl gray oh. Thanks, Amy. It's been a long time since you and I have podcasted together. And we don't do a lot of crossovers on To The Journey. So yes, we listeners have been working, I'm going to say, a good six months. No, it's, it's been <laughs> nine. It's, it's been a while. <laughs> a long, long time. <laughs> well, in part, listeners, because we have Liam who's in Australia and Joe's who's in Scotland. Australia. So Liam's up very early and Joe is staying up very late. And thankfully, uh, Zach and I are just happy in the afternoon. <laughs> so it's been uh, a little bit to get it going. But we are going to be continuing 
our uh, fan collective set and covering the Borg episodes. And so that's why we invited um, to the journey to join us. So uh, today, on Tuesday, you're listening to Earl Grey, and we're going to cover an Enterprise episode, uh, Regeneration, and then next-gen episodes, Q-Who, Best of Both Worlds, iBorg, and Descent. So we're going to cover those today on Earl Grey. And then on Thursday, you are going to tune in for To The Journey, where we will be joining their show, and we will finish... Uh, the Borg episodes for Voyager, which is Scorpion, Drone, Dark Matter, Unimatrix Zero, and Endgame. So that's the grand plan. Right. Dark Frontier. Just to be clear, you guys have as many two-part episodes as we do. No, we don't. We have two. And also it's Dark Frontier, not Dark Matter, Amy. But it's okay. Oh, did <laughs> Dark Frontier. Yeah. Oh, you're Dark right. Frontier Dark Frontier counts, counts as a, a two. You're right. We- and Endgame is a two-hour thingy. Yeah. Wow. There is a lot more, lot yeah. more Borg and Voyager. So, yeah. Let's, Voyager has a lot of hours. Well, imagine if you put all the Borg episodes in of Voyager. That's everything from season four onwards. Anything with seven and nine in it. It's a Borg episode. Well, um, and Voyager does focus a lot like- on seven of nine. <laughs> Yeah, like all of season four is a Voyager ep- is a Borg episode. It's <laughs> oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. true. We'd also just point out as well, uh, Suzanne did want to be here today, but she couldn't make it because she got caught out by the temporal police. Oh yes. Again, she's Again? very naughty with the temporal police. <laughs> so covering Enterprise regeneration. Um, this is the episode where. The Borg are found in the Arctic Circle, and then they go from there. Phlox gets assimilated with the neurons and comes up. I don't know what happens. A lot happens in this episode. Borg stuff happens. A lot happens, (laughs) yeah. So that's sort of the rundown. (laughs) Not very good, sorry. Um, Okay, so but I wanted to ask, like, what do we learn about the Borg in this? Keeping in mind that this is supposed to be the first time we see the Borg, but it's really one of the last times we see the Borg. Do you think that there's some mistakes going on there? No, I think chronologically it's the second time we'll have seen the Borg in terms of the Star Trek timeline. Yeah, line, because technically it? the first contact, the, yeah. The, yeah, stop stealing my, my no. bit of story. No, I've got to no, tell no, Liam. No, no. <laughs> okay, that's fine. So this episode is a, I suppose, is a direct um, continuation of what happened to that Borg sphere after the Enterprise took it out in first contact. Even though it looked to be completely obliterated, apparently bits of it landed somewhere in the Arctic. And then the Arctic 1 exploration mission and I found chunks of it and found some frozen drones and took it back and defrosted them. And they they repaired themselves and then that led to Enterprise getting its own kind of dealings with the Borg. Yeah, so I had a question. So the two Borg from the Arctic Circle, they assimilated the other people, the scientists there. And then how did they get to the Tarkalian ship that it infected flocks? I think I missed that because I didn't know. I think I missed that too. How they got from the Arctic Circle to that, yeah, 
the Tarkalian. They took a transport off of the Arctic. Oh. Did, was that, no, was the Arctic one um, exploration ship not mm. on, yeah. on the surface? And they assimilated it? Yeah, I'm wondering how they got to the ship, because then that ship is where, where they came across uh, the NX-01. Oh, how they got to the Tarkalian yeah. freighter. That's... I think they just they just found it and wanted to assimilate that. There was a ship on the surface called Arctic One. Arctic One. Okay. And they assimilated that, yeah. and then they left Earth, and they came across the Turkelian freighter. Okay. Okay. And that's when I watched it this morning, and I missed that. He needs to not feel bad. <laughs> How'd they get there? Amy, when you said you thought that, uh, is it a mistake or some mistakes in here being the chronologically when we see it, I think this episode was more a case of us watching people not understand what the Borg are. Because we all know what the Borg are and what they can do, but they don't. And it was sort of us knowing how bad the Borg are. And we're watching, you know, 22nd century humans try and work out what they are. And I also thought it was cool that Flox is actors you know john billingsley's wife was one of the people on the arctic one expedition i didn't know this so to see her so does this episode can we assume that the events of first contact changed history yes Be- yeah because that borg sphere was never meant to crash land on earth and so it or applies. it was just always supposed to be that way true but then when Q, we'll move on to Q who in a minute, I assume, um, when Q hurdles the Enterprise to encounter the Borg for the first time, then that necessarily isn't our first encounter with them. See, that's exactly why I asked that question. Good job, Joe. Because I'm trying to figure it out, and I'm glad, Liam, that you said, well, we get first contact, and that's the whole Borg thing. Um because in my notes I wrote, so it wasn't really Q who tipped the Borg off to Earth because at the end of regeneration, they send a subspace signal back to the Delta Quadrant. So, and then that's supposed to take 200 years. So did the Borg know about Earth and us in the Alpha Quadrant because of the subspace signal that they sent or do they know about us because of Q who? So the Borg were already en route Earth when they were at system, what it was, J25 or whatever system it was at in Q who. Well, that's a good way to explain it, yeah. So given the signal they set out in regeneration, they sent a ship from the Delta Quadrant and it happened to be en route. It was in system J25 when Q made the Enterprise meet it. But that was in the 24th century. Mm -hmm. So when first contact happened, because they went back, right? So then from that time forward, then we get regeneration with the leftover frozen Borg. And it's at then, which is 2200, that they send the subspace back and so then that is what creates the borg to come towards us where q who q sends us 
See, now I have in mind that the Borg cube has been en route to Earth for almost 200 years. And these little Borg children on the Borg cube are going, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet for 200 years? <laughs> That's where the Borg baby went from Voyager. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you see, one could argue that it would be very inefficient for the Borg to send a ship in normal space at normal space warp speeds to earth because they're like oh we're going we're going to assimilate this they could have just gone into a transwarp conduit which means they could have got there a lot quicker yeah like in 60 seconds yeah so it's it's sort of a bit confusing i think in the way that that's written and that if this happened in 2153 the stuff uh, the subspace signal might not get there till 2353 which is slightly before first contact in q who happens i think q who was like 2260 something yeah which know, is why the borg was already on in route wait i'm totally confused now so subspace messages go faster than warp speed presumably right and then it takes 200 years for the message to get to the delta quadrant how on earth can the borg get there anything less than like 400 years Especially if it only took Voyager potentially 75 years to get from right. the Delta Quadrant back. Oh, yeah. That doesn't... <laughs> We've got this ourselves is, into a hole. This is not No, about... this is not. Oh, man. <laughs> I think we just have to enjoy it for what it is yeah, and so. ignore all the wee inaccuracies that we, as super fans and podcasters, will pick up. Yeah. Because when we're dealing with timey-wimey stuff, we're going to find flaws in it somewhere. I think we well, just the very organizing of this episode was a flaw with the amount of different time zones ranked. we've got. I remember watching this episode when it first aired, and I didn't watch a lot of Enterprise. I watched the first couple of seasons off and on, and um, I didn't watch most of Voyager in its first run either. So I, but all the all the Borg stuff had happened when when this episode aired, and I, I really couldn't decide: is this like an interesting episode, to like trying to tie the timeline together? I think the, your question hit to the heart of it for me, Amy. I don't think we learn a lot new about the Borg in this episode. It feels like either fan service or just like an interesting zombie Borg movie. It is very zombie-esque for sure. It's a, it's yeah. a zombie show. You know, they just keep coming and coming and you have to, you know, make them go away. There's not, we don't learn that much about the Borg. Although we do learn Zephram, Co Zephram Cochran. Uh, His, you know, thought thought yeah. this was an interesting uh Experience. And I wonder no if they him. make the Borg more scary because of maybe some of the criticism that Voyager took away the scariness of the Borg. And so they sort of wanted to bring it back, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I've always thought it goes that, back to what I was saying. Sorry, Jane. I've just always thought that the Borg kind of defanged, no, Voyager defanged the Borg slightly. I don't know. I mean, not in Scorpion. I mean, I thought Scorpion no. was riveting. I haven't watched I'll, it in a long I'll time, honestly. I, have, I found it riveting. Did I watch it this morning with him? I have an opinion about that, too. But this goes back This goes back to what I was saying, though, in that this episode isn't designed as a, a scary episode. It's designed, I feel like, more of a mystery episode that we're watching people try and uncover what's going on. And to be honest, of all, I, I, I thought it... Yes, it's fan service because they're putting Borg in Enterprise, but I feel like they did it in a great way. I mean, what did you guys think? Did you think that, did we really need Borg in Enterprise? Or did you think this is actually a pretty all right episode? Well, it speaks to the heart of the problem with Enterprise, the, pr the problem of the premise, right? They're supposed to be a lone ship out there on the on the frontier, but it's in it's back in time in the Star Trek timeline. So all the stuff they're, they're going to encounter is stuff we generally already know about. <laughs> and that, that's, that's a fundamental problem 
problem with the premise of the show to make it engaging. Right? I like that they explore that loose end of first contact with the sphere, you know, breaking away before. So I really do appreciate it. And I think to your point, Liam, when you're saying we know the history with the Borg, but we're seeing it through their fresh perspective. They're meeting the Borg for the first time. And I always love how they always refer to these cybernetic creatures, the cybernetics, you know, that they don't have a name for it. Right. And so that's interesting to see that. The, the tubules that come out of the, yeah. out of the arm, right? <laughs> oh, never heard that term before. And let's face it, they didn't announce themselves as we are the Borg. No, they didn't. Either. They just said that they'll yeah. be assimilated. So humans don't know who the Borg are right. still. It's just this weird cybernetic alien race that's far off mm -hmm. in the Delta Quadrant. It was a little unclear why the events of, of, of this episode in Enterprise aren't remembered by the time TNG rolls around. I mean, no, it's like, you know, 75 or 100 years later or 200 years later, I guess, right? But, you know, you'd think they'd at least be in, they'd have the logs, See, right? See, and that's so, the thing... <laughs> This doesn't yeah, make sense to me. The, never did. Because they wrote Enterprise after all of it. Because like in, uh, I think it is Scorpion and like Janeway's going through all the log entries for Borg. Like she didn't come across this. Well, that's because Enterprise hadn't been written, you know. And it's like we learn a lot from Regeneration, you know. Like they, the ship was a sphere, uh, that they are different species, that there's nanoprobes that go in, that they can assimilate parts of the ship very quickly. Like we learn a lot in this episode. I mean, granted stuff we already knew, but yeah, like you said, Zach, that's sort of the problem of the premise is that, you know, we have met the Borg before. So when Picard, Janeway see, they really should know. Would it have been better at the very end of the episode to have, say, Admiral Forrest say something to the effect of, oh, this is so serious. We oh. better classify this, you know. And, Pull you know, a discovery. They, should they have done something cheesy no. like that? No. Okay. I It's funny. I had, it's, it had been so long since I watched this episode. I don't think I'd watched it since its first run, honestly, all those years ago. And I, I had in mind that that's exactly what happened, that oh, how, they, they classified it or whatever. And that's why, you know, Picard didn't know about it when the board came along. Or it was just so insignificant, you know, ancient <laughs> yeah, history. Yeah, ancient then, history. Right? <laughs> All right. No one bothered to look it up. <laughs> well, let's move on to Q Who. Um, I think this who? is who? the what? first one that I think most fans think of as the introduction to the Borg. And this is the one where Q uh, flings the Enterprise to the Delta Quadrant and they see the Borg for the quote unquote first time. Well, I guess the crew of the Enterprise D sees them for the first time. We can say that, correct? The Borg, who have been en route yes, for a long time now. who have been en route okay. because of that subspace signal that took so long to get there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Joe, what do you think about Q-Who? We spoke about this when we talked about the Q episodes a while back. And in terms of Q, this is the one of the few times we see him being, doing something that's really bad. Quite malevolent because 18 people die in this episode. Um, and there's that sequence where they cut out a big massive chunk of the hull. Like that's kind of cylindrical cross section gets zapped out. And it's just very cool. And we learn that Guinan knows all about the Borg because her species were assimilated, although she wasn't there at the time. Um, 
like 200 years previously. Um, yeah, very cool episode. Very cool that the Borg get... We win the first encounter with the Borg. We blow giant chunks in it. But we then learn that they quickly adapt to whatever we throw at them. Um, so that's kind of cool. I enjoy this episode. Do you think Do you think Hugh is genuinely being malevolent, though? I mean, he basically says, you know, if he can't stand a few bloody noses, you have no business being out here in space, right? So he's he's he thinks he's doing humanity a favor. But 18 people still die, so I don't think... He, he, he could easily kind of... What's the phrase he uses? Yeah, something like bloody noses or brute. Is it bloody noses? Something like that, yeah. Skin, knees, and elbows? I don't know what it is. I, I can't remember. What's to that effect? Um, he could easily just zap them back into existence and make it so that they didn't die. But he doesn't. You could do that. Could, That's true. So, He's omnipotent. Mm-hmm. I just don't like the fact that he did that. I never have. Well, we definitely become more prepared because of this encounter. So whether it was malevolent or benevolent, we get prepared. So we do have Q to think only because we didn't learn from enterprise regeneration. (laughs) And the Borg would have shown up anyway because of enterprise, right? Would they have? We're assuming that that Borg, Borg cube has been en route for... The longest time. How many hundreds of years now? Yeah. <laughs> I've lost count. Because <laughs> the subspace signal was sent. But is, was that Borg cube, was that the one that was coming because of the signal? Yeah. Well, this was only 7,000 light years away. That's... So potentially. But you see, I've been very quiet because I really don't like this episode. The only reason I feel that people like this episode is because it is the introduction to the Borg. Like, if you look at it from a just a standalone episode point of view, you got a whole load of wasted time with that Sonia Gomez character. The Borg. Oh yeah. The the Borg look comical. Realistically, I mean, yes, it's the eighties, so like special well, they've, effects, they've makeup, etc. Right? So. They never made one, but it looks comical. I agree. In comparison with the Voyager in the First Contact, Borg, yes. Yeah. And really, it's just a slow, whingy episode about Q being whingy. Like, all of those things add up to make a terrible episode, in my opinion, compared to the fact that we all love it because it's what introduced the Borg. To me, the fact that Guinan was there and we learn more about her species and the Elorians are the only things that actually save it. And this is why you guys will hate me, but TNG is not anywhere near the top of my favorite series. Because of this episode? Or did you just throw out not, all not because the of TNG this baby with this, this episode's bathwater? <laughs> um, no, 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 no. But I mean, on its own, I, I think this episode is not great. But the fact that it introduces the Borg does mean it's a lot better in people's minds. Um and another thing with this episode that I suppose I did like is that you see the Enterprise sort of greet this really weird alien ship with their standard greeting card of, hello, new species, love me, we're the Federation, you know? And then it all turns to... 
So I think this was quite innovative, though, because every other alien race in Star Trek, presumably you can reason with in one way or another. Right. And that's so it was interesting to break the mold and say, here's an alien race that you literally can't reason with. You've got to find another way to you know, interact with or beat these guys. And I think just, I think it's innovative in the episode. Yeah, the, there's it, there's some you know problems with the pacing and timing of the episode, of course, but. I thought it was a fun episode. I like learning about Guinan. I, I really love this, the cylinder of the of the ship, you know, this cross-section of the hole coming out with a little, like, you can see furniture and people and all the little miniatures they put that inside the funny. model. That, was, that, that was, cool. was really a highlight. And I don't really get that much into models and stuff, but on... I'm a ship yeah, guy. I love on ships. On the <laughs> DVD collection, uh, Judy, and I forget her last name, but she goes through in season two... And talks about the props throughout all the series. And she has that. And so we get to see the details of that. And just, oh my gosh, I just fell in love with it. I Judy, oh shoot, I forget her name. But she's brilliant in showing us all of that. But I love the look of the Borg. I think it's so cool. I guess I don't notice the changes that it makes. Because to me, this is what the Borg look like. And yeah, so, yeah, I think for I'm with you on that, Amy. I mean, for me, having grown up with TNG, I'm used to TNG Borg and to the, the first contact and Voyager Borg just look weird to me compared to you know how yeah. they're supposed to look in TNG. Right? And you see, that's where I'm the opposite because I grew up with Voyager. Mm-hmm. So if I go back, it's a bit, it, mm. you know, it, in, in the Lego community, there's a term for this greebling, all the little, like, you know, tiny little details people add to models to make them, you know, just kind of more nuanced. And what they've done is greeble the Borg. <laughs> they have this kind of <laughs> relatively simplistic looking Borg in TNG. And then they just keep adding details to make them more realistic or more complex or more whatever. They've greebled them. That's it. <laughs> greebled the Borg. Greebled the Borg. Yes. <laughs> Yes. So the this nursery, I think, is very interesting. And I want to bring it up when we go on your show and talk about drone, because Seven was like, well, that's weird. Why is there this, you know, baby, this embryo? Because the Borg assimilate, they don't um, procreate. Yeah. And so it's interesting that they bring it up here in Q-Who and we never see any young, small Borg again. So that's why I was so surprised to see that in Voyager, because it seemed like they introduced it here and then dropped it. So the fundamental question, of course, is do Borg breed or those, were those assimilated babies that they had to put somewhere until they grew up? Well, I mean, at this point, assimilation wasn't even a thing. We didn't, that's true. I didn't say the yeah, right. That's we right. just didn't even know mm-hmm. about that. And it was barely a thing in um, in TNGs. It, it wasn't even obvious they were going to assimilate the entire crew. They definitely assimilated Captain Picard. But were they going to assimilate the entire Enterprise crew? That's not clear at all. They were just hell-bent on like, destroying Earth. No, I thought they were going right. to go to Earth and assimilate yeah. it. Do they say that in the episode? I don't. I don't know. In best of both worlds, yeah, best of both worlds, we definitely get the assimilation. But in Q, who do we get that? Yeah, but but were they assimilating? Were they going to assimilate all of Earth, or were they just going to assimilate Picard and go destroy Earth or conquer Earth? That I don't know if they've even they even talked about assimilating Earth at that point. No, in best of both worlds, they did because they wanted Lacutus to act as the go between, right? Because they yeah. wanted to conquer Earth and to make it 
Yeah, they well they kind of they kind of talked about it metaphorically, like your culture will adapt to service ours, yeah. you know, that kind of language. But that does that mean assimilation? It hasn't been worked out yet. I don't think even then. They wanted Picard as like a, an emissary to aid the assimilation of the Earth. Yeah. Text. Yeah. By the, by the time first contact rolls around, yeah, they're going to assimilate. They're going to assimilate her. Right? <laughs> that's what. But that's what it says on Memory Alpha for Best of Both Worlds. Makes me. I I, I have to confess, I didn't rewatch it before we started recording. But now I I suspect that if we read the transcript, we won't find strong language about assimilating Earth. Yeah, I well, I would agree with you on Q Who, but I'm pretty sure that in Best of Both Worlds, we get the phrase, you know, resistance is futile you will be assimilated because that seems to be the very, the main point. Like they want to assimilate everyone. Your uniqueness will add to ours, you know, all that stuff. I, and in part, we have watched a lot of Borg episodes. So all of those phrases <laughs> jumbled up <laughs> with these episodes. Um, but no. Okay. I am, I am looking at the transcript right now. And I am doing a, a, a text search for the word assimilation. No, it said the Borg, the Borg says it is not in there. death is irrelevant. Your archaic cultures are authority driven to facilitate our introduction into your societies. It's right. been decided that human voice will speak for us in all communications. You have been chosen to be that voice. Yeah, but that's not assimilation, right? That's something it could. Lucutus says... Discussion is relevant. There are no terms. You will disarm all your weapons and escort us to Sector 001, where we will begin assimilating your culture and technology. And that's Best of Both Worlds Part 2. Oh. Oh, I'm in Part so, 1. Okay, right. So let me... Yeah, Part 1, there's no discussion of it. Part 2 is where wow. we get that. That is... That comes in pretty late. Yeah. I mean, by, by the time Best of Both Worlds Part 1 was written, they decided on this assimilation uh, part, Assimilating your in culture Q-Hoo and technology. Interesting. So yeah, it's it's interesting. It's like it's like the proto seed of what they wanted the Borg yeah. to become. You know, was there, but they hadn't quite worked out the way to talk about it yet. Maybe because yeah. in Kuhu we only get to hear destroy and take over the whole El- Elorian race. We don't even hear. Where do we even hear Guinan is an Elorian? Like, where did where did that even come generations, up? Generations, maybe. I think it's in generations. So we didn't even know what she was throughout all of TNG. I don't think they had, right? a, they had a name for her race in oh, okay. TNG. I think I think they introduced that in Generations. Pretty sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, you're right. By the in part two, they do get around to saying your people will be as assimilated as easily as Picard has been. Okay. But I mean, if you look at part one, was right season three ending, and we had uh, Michael Pillar was the one who wrote it, right? And he wasn't planning on coming back. So he just left it worst case scenario. It wasn't until they picked that back up and wrote part two that I think they sort of got this assimilation idea. Because I think you're right, Zach. They didn't really know what the Borg was, what their purpose was, you know, even into part one. They were were just zombies, you know, and they're coming and you got to do something about them. They didn't know why they were coming yet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Every time I watch... Part one, I'm reminded of the story Patrick Stewart says about being stopped. He's in traffic in LA and a family pulls up alongside him and shouts at him. Like, I can't believe what you've done. We've had to wait all summer before we can see part two. Like, you've left us on this 
massive cliffhanger. It was a cliffhanger. Fire. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I haven't heard that story. No? Yeah. Hmm. So we, um, what I like about Best of Both Worlds, we get the idea of a queen, per se. Would we agree with that statement? One mind? Do we, we, don't, we, we don't get... We no, don't we don't, but it's sort of the idea that there's one person controlling it and that this one mind wants Lacutus to join with. I, I think we only get the idea of the queen in first contact. The queen comes later for yeah, sure. Yeah, but, but I'm but saying... Are you saying is there, is there the even the kernel, idea that there's a central... Yeah consciousness or is it some distributed collective consciousness i think it's sort of the idea the introduction of there's one controlling mind over them that wants lacutus to join him slash her them so that's why i sort of still in my mind like best of both worlds like there's that queen mentality because there's one person making the choice for the collective i guess i had i had kind of read it the other way because again maybe i need to go back and rewatch it <laughs> but I, I didn't even get the sense that the idea of this the strong idea of a collective consciousness had even been worked out in Beth, best of both worlds we know picard has kind of joined the borg he's one of them he's communicating with them but this notion of a collective consciousness was that even really worked out in the best of best of both worlds i i don't remember any language like that but I was wrong before, so... Data says something about... about the fact that there's not one... not individual life signs. It's, it's reading as, like, kind of one... one life sign. Like, on board. As opposed to many individuals. Which kind of... in a way... kind of leads you to believe it's kind of... One mind, one yeah. hive mind. Mm. I guess what I'm seeing is that we're taking some of these later Borg ideas and kind of ret retconning them back into the best of both worlds. It's stuff that's not necessarily that there. is exactly what's Difficult. happening because I remember mm -hmm. Picard saying, like in first contact, I can hear their voices, hear them, you know. Right. But, but that's that a, that's a first is contact yeah, way thing, further right? than where we are. So, oh my goodness, what our man, our mind does, crazy. I, you know, one of the things I loved about the best best of both worlds, I love seeing a foil for Riker in Shelby because Riker's a pretty amicable guy. Everyone likes reporting to him. You know, um, even when he's serious, he's fun to work with. And now here comes someone who can really get his back up. <laughs> I like seeing that. He's tough, but he's fair. I never really liked Shelby, to be honest. But then I was watching. I liked that. But then I was watching it yesterday and. Kinda, she didn't annoy me so much anymore. She's a careerist. She's she's climbing the ladder. It's the it's, this is this is second wave feminism. Yeah. She's climbing the ladder. I think I don't like her for the same reason. I don't like Jellico. The well, they, they write her and, so that we don't like her. Same with Jellico. Yes, so they come on board and they disturb this comfortable status quo that the the crew that we love have with each other, and it's like well. I don't like it. And she was she was going to join the show, right? I mean, I if, if 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 Patrick Stewart wasn't coming back, they were going to need a first officer. So I didn't know this. 
We uh, did an interview with her. We did. Did you? Yes. I, I, I think that would have been an interesting show because, I mean, Riker does not stand up to Picard very much. He doesn't have to put his foot down about too many things. And I can see a lot more tension on the Enterprise D with Riker as captain and Shelby as first officer. Kind of, it, it's kind of like what they did with Voyager with Janeway and Chakotay sometimes. Well, Riker's pretty sure to point out to Picard not to go on away missions. And Chakotay doesn't yeah, that's do the anything one thing, about right? that. <laughs> I already, I'm in my rewatch of Voyager and I've already messaged Liam. I'm like, why is Janeway going on every single away mission? Doesn't she know she's not supposed to? And Liam's like, they're in the Delta Quadrant, whatever. <laughs> pretty much. This is another one of those episodes where I'm sort of like, oh, it's, it's, it's a good episode. I don't think it's the be all and end all episode of Star Trek that a lot of people seem to think it is. Well, but it, it doesn't have much th- in the way of a philosophical core to it. It's, you know, it, it's, it's an actual well, the, episode. And, and it just leads to me with what I feel about TNG is that I find it a little bit slower than a lot of other things, but I, I would have to say that I feel like this episode would have had even more of an impact if it were maybe in season five, six, and we had a couple of different Borg episodes to really solidify the fact that the Borg are a really, really horrific, scary alien species or alien race for them to then assimilate Picard. Like, I feel like that would have been a really, a much more impactful episode if it were later on in uh, the next generation. Could have been the season finale. Or the the uh, series finale? Oh, can you imagine if they just left that as the series finale? No, no, <laughs> you, no. <laughs> we're rewriting the next generation for you, Amy. It's what we're gonna do. Yeah, and I also really wanted to see the Battle of Wolf three five nine. Oh yeah, but I I would love to have seen just an episode where everyone everything's just going down from the perspective but, of the and, Kyushu. From the what? The ship, the Kyushu. Oh, yeah. I thought you said the Q show, and I'm like, what, what's the, the going Q-shoe. on? Kyushu. Kyushu. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Yeah, because we only see a snippet of that battle in the Deep Space Nine premiere when Benjamin Sisko's ship gets destroyed and Jennifer dies. Um, that'd be really interesting, though, if we they did leave that later when we were more invested in the TNG characters. and More invested and maybe know a little bit more about how scary the Borg yeah, are. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think for a lot of people, this was the introduction to TNG because people hadn't been watching the first couple of seasons. They might have started watching in season three, but then this enormous cliffhanger happens and this is when people were introduced mm. to TNG. This is what put TNG on the map. Well, yeah, possibly. I don't know. I mean, we get that introduction with Q-Who and it's like, ooh, they're scary. If we would have had another ooh, they're scary episode, I think that would have really been way boring. So I think we get it because it is a two-parter that we get, ooh, they're scary. And they took our beloved captain. So I think they sort of combine that. And I think in season three... And going into four, I think it's a good amount of time that we definitely have built a relationship with our crew. I mean, not so much Beverly Crusher because she was gone in season two, but, you know, for sure, Picard, Riker, you know, the main ones that 
I think the timing is really good. I, I have to disagree with you. And I think the pacing of it for me is just perfect because we get the, ooh, they're scaring and they took Picard and we get a resolution and we learn a lot about the Borg. We've got a, we've got a little bit of a generation gap here. I've noticed this with you, Liam, a, a few times now. You know, you're used to kind of faster, action-paced shows, and so when shows get slower, you kind of go, "This is a little too slow for me," because you grew up with a more modern mindset. You know, we grew up with like, you know, '70s and '80s sitcoms. You know, slow shows are fine for us older folks. <laughs> so I like all the slow <laughs> stuff. Like even in the best of both worlds, you get this nice, like, super quiet, talky scene with Guinan and. And Riker in Picard's ready room talking about how he has to become the captain. I mean, there's no action going on at all. It's all character, character, character. But nothing. And that's fine for in me. The world, nothing happened. Like in comparison, I'm like ancient compared to Liam. But nothing in the world is slower than all of season one of Picard. <laughs> thank, thank you. It, it gets better towards the end. <sighs> oh, Does it? I'm so glad you got the same opinion, Joe, because my God, Picard was slow. I just can't bring myself <laughs> to watch it again. I'd like, there's nothing in the world. No, neither can I. It's really, it's, I'm so excited about it. And then mm, it just, just did not so live disappointed. up to anywhere near the expectations I had for it. And do you know who my least favourite character was in Don't that whole entire show? Picard. Oh. Picard. Picard. I thought you were going to say Hugh, a good segue into yes. iBoard. Can I say one last Talking thing of. about um, Best of Both Worlds? Yes, please. And that, even though it's a two-parter, it's actually part of a three-episode arc. Yes. With family being the third part, mm-hmm. which is in four, episode two. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, also, I think when you build a massive spaceship yeah, that blows up when everybody on it goes to sleep, then you're not really that scary. Sleep. He's exhausted. Yes. I don't think he's talking about sleep. Why would the Borg cube blow up when all the Borg regenerate? Because they blew an unguarded, unshielded part of the ship that caused a chain reaction. Of course, Amy. Obviously. Obviously. That's <laughs> Badly designed. Yeah. Badly designed. Yeah. Yeah, so can we talk about iBorg? We can. Yeah. Yes. Because. A, a great play on the title iRobot from Isaac oh, Asimov. Yes. Mm-hmm. And talking of slow episodes, I loved this oh. one. Because it was slow? Really? I enjoyed the speed of this one. Mm, okay. This is my favorite one of all the ones we're talking about in your episode. Wow. Amy, we expect a geometrical uh, analysis of this uh, um, unsolvable geometric problem that Data's come up with. So, <laughs> Well, yeah, we're not getting that today. School's out. <laughs> <laughs> I want a lesson on this. I don't understand this, Amy. Come on. So I really like iBorg. Uh, we get this idea of Hugh, and I think this is what sets up in my opinion, iBorg sets up all of the Voyager Borg episodes to distinguish between a collective versus an individuality. How important is being unique versus how important is being with a collective? And I think we really get that started here with iBorg. So I think this is like the beginning, Zachary, of this 
philosophical debate where previously it's, ooh, they're scary and ooh, they're going to assimilate us. But I think here we get that introduction to philosophy. You, so you're, you're sort of saying that Hugh is the proto seven of nine. Like this is this is the genesis yes. of, of seven of nine of, of the seven of nine character idea and unborn Borg that we have to see the fallout of. We, and we don't get to explore that in TNG, unfortunately. It's just too episodic. We do but. in Descent. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's true. To some extent. Shush. Yeah, we get a follow up. Yeah, see, if, if Liam is bored by by Best of Both Worlds, I'm bored Ugh. by Descent. So. I wasn't bored by Best of Both Worlds. <laughs> just to clarify. <laughs> it just wasn't the greatest piece of TV that I think people think it is. But that could be the generational gap. Amy, Amy, Sorry. sidebar, see when we guest onto the journey, will we just trash all their episodes? I, I think we're going to have to. I think, we are, I think we're going to, yeah. I know. I, I think I, you're going I, to. No, I, I love Ibor. Really, <laughs> no, and not I really like Ibor too. I, I love all these episodes. No, I was, really I was, this was directed I, at um, Liam. He's lucky he's in Australia. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I think in terms of the, the philosophical issues in iBorg, you know, yes, there's the individualism versus collectivism, but really the, the big moral dilemma is, is it okay to use Hugh as a weapon? I think that's the only bit that I like. For the episodes. greater good, right? To save save millions of lives. In I the mean, future. yeah, we get that the needs of the many versus the needs of the few or the one. Yeah, th- this is straight up consequentialist utilitarian ethics. And I know what that means because I listen to Metatrex. And if you don't know what that means, you should listen to Metatrex. <laughs> I will. <laughs> um, the only the bit the bit that I really enjoy is Jordy and Data talking about the the geometric anomaly, the fractal thing that they're never going to be able to solve. Oh, that's funny. I think I think I just like it because it has such you know broad and broad extensible uh, relationships to to all kinds of things here in the actual world. I mean, it's extensible to things like uh, animal rights, for example. Is it okay to mm. kill a bunny rabbit to save a bunch of humans? You know, it's the same exact you know line of reasoning. You know, so this comes up in the real world all the time. This is not just a, this is not a hypothetical moral example, right? With Iborg, what I probably most enjoyed was watching Picard and Guinan and their hatred and bitterness and fear towards the Borg break down. And you're you're literally watching people literally... What am I trying to say here? You're just watching it dissolve and question themselves. And then you got Picard effectively questioning, questioning himself that is he actually better than the Borg if he's using Hugh to commit genocide? Because that's what he's doing because the Borg are living, they're just one automaton. He gets, one a good, he, he gets a good dressing eye. down from an admiral for not uh, not doing it. <laughs> oh yeah. So I mean that that's the bit that I enjoyed the most about this this particular episode. And and Borg Hugh was kind of cute, but that's the different matter. Yeah, I I agree, and that's why I love I Borg so much is because we get this amazing character arc uh, and growth of Picard and Guinan, who are just so diametrically opposed to the Borg and want to destroy them. And now like Picard has this vengeance that we don't see until first contact, but he's got it there building and to see that transformation of, okay, this isn't a thing. This is a person. This is an individual. This is unique. And what are we going to do with Hugh? And I get the chills every time that he gets a name. 
And I love the fact that it's Jordy who befriends Hugh, like, because Jordy is already the one most accepting of data, this Android, you know, I mean, he's his best friend. And so I love that, that it's Jordy that is most accepting of Hugh out of all this, all the crew. I think if, if anyone has an excuse to hate the Borg, it's Guinan, right? I mean, her whole civilization was destroyed by the Borg. And she, you know, when, when she first looks at Hugh, she looks at him with such disgust. You know, she, you don't look so tough to me, you know, and then, you know, she breaks down. It's great. It's very, and, and Whoopi Goldberg sells it. She's great. And the fact that it's Guinan that then convin- effectively convinces Picard to go and speak to Hugh. Right. Yeah. And she's like, just spend five minutes with him. Yeah. So good. Yeah. It's awfully similar as well, using Hugh the way they wanted to, to the way the Brunali wanted to use Echeb in Child's Play, in Voyager, wanting to use him as a weapon. Oh, that's an episode that I didn't watch, so I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's okay. So you'll get there. Season six. Um, I could also argue that this is the point where the Borg become less scary because you see that there is an individual underneath that. Yes, they rob you of individuality, but they're now not the plague of, I don't know, half TV antenna, half humanoid creatures that they've perceived to be in Best of Both Worlds and q Amy, if if you have any difficult math students, you let me know and I will come up with a couple unsolvable logic problems for you. Because I do have a unit in logic and uh, reasoning, so we do talk about that. There are some logic proofs where you get stuck in a loop if you're not if right. You're not yeah. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, to that part uh, of what Joe said about Voyager defangs the Borg, and and a lot of I've heard that before, but I really, uh, which I disagree I with, I disagree. completely course, disagree yeah. with too. Because I feel like, and to your point, Liam, I can see that we are now getting to know the Borg, getting to know the individual. And that's what it's like. This process of the Borg is any unfamiliar group that we come in contact with. You learn the individuals and you learn not to stereotype, you learn not to generalize, and you learn to learn who the people are individually and not as an entire collective. And that process, I think we get with the Borg. And I, and I would agree with you that we learned that and it starts here in Next Gen with iBorg. Actually, in, when we get to Voyager, we'll talk about this when we, when we shift over to our uh, To the Journey recording. But with Seven of Nine, we actually learned that the Borg aren't faceless zombies. They actually have a bit of a tood. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And a bit of a superiority complex. Oh, yes. We do see that. That's true. So we get Hugh with his individualistic personality who gets released back into the collective. And then we see the fallout in Descent Part 1 and Part 2. So, Zach, it sounded like this was not an interesting episode to you, two-parter. No, it's just too much. Like, 
we have to bring lore back again. And no, it's something doesn't add up with this episode to me at all. I don't know. I mean, I like that. I like the idea. Of what happens when you take these beings that are that are um, you know lost and basically confused walking. And- well, well, essentially walking computer programs. You know, they have been zombies hitherto. And then you introduce, I mean, they, they introduced this idea at the end of, of I, Borg. Like what happens when we introduce individuality into the Borg, when the Borg assimil- assimilate individuality? And it's fun to explore that, but I didn't find much interesting about the way they explored it. Uh, it falls flat. To me. I wish I had more to say about why. It's just, I don't, I don't find the exploration of that idea, that idea very in-depth. Joe? If I were you, I would want to go back to the collective because of that silly name. Hugh? Hugh is that? <laughs> Sorry if you know Wait, anybody. With Hugh? I still like the name. Hugh. I thought you would. It's very European to me. I've got an uncle. I had, well, I had an uncle Hugh, Uncle Shug. See what I mean? Um, yeah. I don't, yeah. I never liked it. I never liked the name. I thought it was a silly name. Uh, yeah, and Descent, I think the the best bit about Descent is Beverly being in command. Uh, 100% yes. agree. Yes, that, that cool-looking Borg ship that wasn't a kind of regular geometric shape. It was, a, it was like a tablet. How would you mean? They assimilated an, an iPad. Mm-hmm. Uh, or was that a different episode? No, the set was the one where um, there was a, a middle section, like here, and then there was an arm coming off it, and there was another rear section. It was it was non-symmetrical. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Gonna... I'm thinking of a different episode. I know which one you're thinking of, Liam. Yeah. Okay. So, Liam, Descent, part one and part two. It took me three attempts to watch it because I fell asleep twice. Did you find anything that you <laughs> learned specifically about the Borg? To be honest, I felt like this episode wasn't about the Borg. Was it more about like, I, lore? I, 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 for me, yeah. From lore and, it was a lore and mm-hmm. data episode with the Borg just shoved in. All right. I totally agree with joe that the best part of this episode was beverly in command especially when they're talking about the unfinished research and uh metaphasic shields. the yeah. metaphasic shielding yeah that that was cool and then going into the sun's corona that was the best part about this episode the rest of it i just thought it was some kind of weird cult we learned that war makes a pretty good cult leader yeah that's it yeah it's just a cult episode i'm like mm, this is just not enjoyable well and i think it goes to the point where you know, when you take away a leader, then there's this power vacuum and then we need someone to step up. And unfortunately it was Lore who found them in disarray, became the leader. And because they didn't know what to do, they accepted him so easily. You could argue that this isn't really a Borg episode, couldn't you? Because I'm not really... Sorry, You could argue that this isn't really a Borg episode, because mm. they're not really the Borg. They are just random Borg. They're, they're XBs. Mm. Yeah. Grown. But yeah, they you are. see, this is what I mean. When defanging the Borg, it is just a case of these are just not even yeah. drones anymore. People. They're just cybernetic people that are Well, it doesn't, it doesn't say much. Okay, I'm going to wax philosophical here a little bit. It doesn't say much about 
this episode's view of human nature, right? If if you if you get, if there's a power vacuum, if you get rid of the the strength of the Borg collective, people to the le- left of their own devices don't form a new civilization. They fall prey to cult leaders. You know what happens to people standing on their own two feet with their own autonomy? This episode doesn't have a very good view of human nature. I think. Right? Yeah, I mm. agree with that. That's all I have to say about this. John Locke is rolling over in his grave with this pathetic view of human nature, man's natural state. So final thoughts, let's go around of what you learned about the Borg, their introduction, um, and yeah, whatever else you would like to say. So Liam, let's start with you. I would say that it's pretty obvious that I found the majority of these episodes not the most enjoyable out of all the ones that we'll talk about. I enjoyed Iborg the most. I enjoyed Descent the least. I really enjoyed the Enterprise episode simply from the fact that I viewed it from the mystery side of things. I think it's a travesty that we didn't assimilate uh, Travis Mayweather because I'd have liked to have seen him assimilated. It would have been cool. Might get to see his arms a bit more. Um, But in terms of what we learn about the Borg, we learn an awful lot about them in... I would say best of both worlds when we finally realize that they're assimilation techniques, etc. But I feel that the age-old argument of who defanged the Borg, it started in TNG, not Voyager. All right, Zach? Yeah, I'm going to pick up on that. Um, I learned in thinking about the Borg throughout Star Trek that I really like zombie Borg better than I like Borg you can talk to. But there's this fundamental problem with zombie Borg, which is that you can't talk to them. So (laughs) if you're going to write anything other than a zombie episode, you have to do something other than zombie Borg. And hence, you have to defang them and be able to talk to them. And that you have to go that direction. Otherwise, you're just going to do zombie Borg again and again and again, like Enterprise did, right? Um, But I, I really like zombie Borg better. I thought they were better when they were just scary bad guys that just kept coming and coming and coming. There's nothing you that kind of the first contact view of Borg minus the Borg queen. They, they just keep coming and coming and coming and there's nothing you can do about them. You can't reason with them. Um, in terms of my favorite episode, um, I got to go. I think I like I Borg actually a little better than than best of both worlds. Um both because of the pacing and because because of the the philosophical content and the the, the moral content and the dramatic content and the, the character development for Guinan and Picard. I think it's I think it's a nicely well done episode and Descent bores me like it does Liam. So, can I just pick up on something you just said there, Zach? In terms of the zombie Borg, but you can't do much with them. You could say that the Borg themselves, when they originally um, wrote them, they wrote themselves into a massive hull. And yeah, thought, what, well, can I mean, we do? What, can, what can we do with it? If you it's can't talk you, to them, you, you can't write an episode about it. You right? can't do anything right. about them. So you're right, you do have to defang them, mm-hmm. but defang them in a way that's good, like Iborg, not Descent. Well, what Iborg does great is the Borg aren't there, right? You have Hugh, right? The Borg are somewhere else and they're still scary. <laughs> they don't, they don't, they just, they just push the issue aside and decide not to deal with the Borg. In that sense, it's not even really a Borg episode. True, true. Joe? I think I have to put these episodes in their time and place when I first saw them. And it kind of explains why I enjoy them so much, because I was a teenager pretty much through the entire first run of TNG in the 80s. Um, So they've just got a really comfortable place in my heart, so I really like them, and I hate to the journey because they've tried to spoil my enjoyment of them. 
Um, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Joe. <laughs> I, I, see, I've learned that I like podcasting with Joe because he makes me feel young. So oh. this is great. <laughs> I take that. That's back. a first because he's always making me feel old. It's because you're. I'm like a teenager. I'm always making 80s. Zach feel old. <laughs> yeah, you are. I was one when Best of Both oh Worlds came gosh. out. Oh my gosh. Hence why to me, in what you were saying there, Joe, it's I'm going back to look at it after watching my yeah. era yeah. of Star oh. Trek. And that's why TNG, unfortunately, is sixth out of the seven live action series to me. Which still boggles my mind. That's a good thing about Star Trek, though. There's now so much of it that Everybody can find something they like about it. Yeah, I, th- I think Liam's statement. Exactly. That, I think Liam's statement that TNG is his sixth favorite Star Trek series is the unsolvable problem of the that day. That is, <laughs> yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> this does not compute. <laughs> Sorry, Joe. I feel like I interrupted. No, no, no. Sorry. It's fine. I, um, um, we, yeah. Um, um, and best of both worlds has it for me, doesn't it? Really, it's that. It's every time I watch it, I get excited because I know exactly what's happened. I could probably say the lines as they're saying them, but it. I remember seeing it for the first time and being overwhelmed with excitement, and I still get captured by that. This is the second big cliffhanger that I can remember on television. The first is who shot. Yes, exactly. I put those two like neck and neck. They're the two big cliffhangers of the 80s. So when I watched these, well, I sort of watched Regeneration twice. um, And it's interesting going back, sort of talking about it, how all of the episodes sort of get smushed together. Like, when did we first? get introduced to the queen? When did we first get assimilated? Like very interesting to go through and see that it really happened a little bit later, but just in my mind, it's all mushed together just in the Borg continuum, I guess. Um, I think it's been really interesting to focus so much on the Borg. I have to say when we've done these fan collective sets, I, I haven't gotten as annoyed as I did so much with this one. And in part, I think because we watched not only the TNG, but the Voyager ones. So it was just a lot of Borg. And by the end, I was like, okay, I am Borged out. And Liam and I were messaging just like, this is too much Borg. You have Borgdom? Yes, Borgdom, definitely. (laughs) Um So it's it's been interesting because we haven't had that like with the Klingon, but we didn't cover the Klingon with the orb, you know, and we so we didn't cover the Deep Space Nine. So I think with the Borg overall, and plus we didn't even cover the movie. Well, we sort of mentioned First Contact, but, you know, there's a lot. And as I'm sure we will mention on to the journey, there's a lot of Voyager episodes that we didn't cover. Again, this is just what the fans voted were their favorite Borg episodes. So that is why we're only covering those. And I think um, I think the fans did pretty good for TNG. I mean, those, I think, are the best episodes of Next Gen. Yeah, there are quite a few Borg episodes that didn't make the Voyager list. Yeah. 
All right. Well, join us Thursday. Listeners, come back, listen to To The Journey, where we will conclude our Borg Collective set. And again, covering Scorpion, Drone, Dark Frontier, Unimatrix Zero, and Endgame. Thursday. 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 Liam, Zach, thank you so much for coming on Earl Grey. We really appreciated having you. Thank you for having it's us. Less enjoyable as I thought. Thanks, Amy. It's it good. Always a pleasure, Amy. Nice to podcast with you finally, Joe. Yes. So tell our listeners. I'm sorry for ruining <laughs> your life. It's Joe. okay. I'll find where you live and kill you. It's okay. Yeah, that's all right. Okay. So, Love you. Liam, tell our listeners where they can find you. <laughs> uh, you can find me elsewhere on the network on To the Journey, surprisingly, <laughs> our Voyager podcast. You can find me on The Edge, our Star Trek Discovery podcast. We released Edge 90 this week, which was an absolute riot of a episode. A bit crazy. And you can can find me on Twitter at LS74656 and the Babel Conference. And Zach, where can people find you? Well, with Liam and Suzanne, you can find me on To The Journey, where we talk about Voyager, and you can also find me on Metatrex, Trek FM show dedicated to Star Trek and philosophy. And you're welcome to follow me on Twitter. My handle is just my name, Zachary Fruitling. All right. Well, Joe, we are just full of guests. We are going to have a special guest guest next week. We have a special guest. I'm quite excited about this special guest, Damien Nelson. I think, Joe, you Are you more excited about this person than me? Uh Oh, no, no. Specialer than we are? No, no. Way more specialer. (laughs) I think it's because you like their surname. (laughs) Yeah, so, Joe, I'm going to have you introduce what's happening next week. Okay, so our special guest will be none other than... Ria Papa Giorgio. Uh, who was that again? Measure, Ria Papa Giorgio. Okay. All right. Ria Papa Giorgio is our friend from STLV. Yes. Liam, why are you laughing? I just love it when you say it. It's just funny. Oh, oh Ria Papa loves Giorgio. it too. This is why we're saying this it This is why over we again. say it multiple times. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we've got some serious mm-hmm. content and topics to discuss next week. Um, we are talking about aging and death when it comes to TNG, um, which is particularly apt because Amy Nelson oh, has, has done a fair stop. amount. Has done a fair amount of aging. And <laughs> <laughs> in, in Voyager, Harry Kim does a fair amount of dying. True. <laughs> and who's that with next week? I think that might be with somebody called Rhea Papa Giorgio. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. She's our amazing Greek friend. Yes. So, Love her. Well, it's been so much fun talking about the Borg today with To The Journey, but it isn't the only thing we've been discussing here on the network. Here is what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, The Orb. But of all the Section 31 that we're getting in new track, this feels the most legitimate. This feels like the section 31 that we we know from Deep Space Nine, and it doesn't feel like, oh, we're just going back to the well again. Because, you know, even Ira said, you know, I know they've used it in the movies, but we created this. Earl Grey. Uh, Still no clue. I'm going to kick myself when I get it. Yeah, tell us, Jim. 
Kirsten Dunst. Oh, oh Kirsten my Dunst. gosh, of I, course. I hate the universe. <laughs> oh Kirsten. my gosh, I knew that. What's wrong with us? The best lockdown performance in all seven seasons, in my opinion. Literary Treks. If this were an episode of Voyager, and I actually think this book would make an interesting episode of Voyager, and like we kind of hinted at, maybe it's very much like an episode mm-hmm. of Voyager that we'll talk about. I don't think it would have been called Seven of Nine, right? No. No, it would have to have like a one-word title to fit in with most of the other Voyager episodes, so you can't really remember <laughs> which one it's about. Yeah, it would just exactly. be called Seven. That's what it would be called. <laughs> To the journey. She did actually mean mm-hmm. what she said in the back in the space just before they die. I don't know. I just kind of like it. It's just. I'm going to tell you, I love you just before I die. Not a minute sooner. <laughs> it's like at least I don't have to deal with the ramifications if I'm dead. <laughs> well, that backfired. Or maybe she was just like, at least I don't have to hear him not say it if we're going to die. So what you're saying is next time that we ask someone to marry them or anyone who asks someone to marry them, they should do it on death's door of like some kind yes. of crazy adventure, like jumping off a bungee jump. Yes, you're in the or... middle of being eaten by a shark or something. I love you, gobble, gobble, gobble. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favourite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad or Apple TV or the desktop Apple Podcasts app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review that helps others to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, and most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab that RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to me, and we might read your email on the show just like we did today. You can also find the network on Twitter and Instagram at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So, Joe, where can people find you when you aren't assimilating everyone? I know that was really well, lame. <laughs> um, when I'm not doing that, which, given social distancing, it's kind of hard to keep up with the amount of assimilation that I normally do. Uh, but when I'm not doing it, um, you can get me on the Babel Conference. You can tweet me on the Twitter at joeyjoe77uk or you can email me joepodcasts at gmail.com. And Amy, where can people contact you when you're not injecting nanoprobes to make yourself youthful? Oh, I do that every day. Mm-hmm. That's why I look so youthful. Borg talks? Yes. Borg talks. Yeah. Borg talks. <laughs> Love it. (laughs) 
Well, when I'm not doing that, you can find me over on United Federation of Podcasts, where I host All Good Things with Patrick Devlin. You can find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, and you can find me right here on the Babel Conference. Now, if you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognise our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Michael Huter, Thomas Appel, Chris Trubuzio, Jim McMahon, Justin Ozer and me, Joe Keegan. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Irrelevant. Great joy and gratitude. Thank you.